behind every great design, behind every great collection, there is a narrative. Try to get to know the narrative of that designer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. And it's still me, Nicole Briggs, that is. And today's show is going to be kind of sort of a bi-coastal one. Uh, I'm in L.A., and my illustrious guest is in Chicago. I don't know what took this so long for me to interview her, because I've known her for most of my life. But um, today we will have Sadie Woods on the show. And um, her list of uh, functions and professions is too long to mention. So welcome, Sadie. Hi, how are you? How are you? How's, I'm good. Uh, how's the fam, bam? How's family? Family's good. Everybody's just been, you know, quarantining and adjusting to this, this, uh, this reality that we are in at the moment. They're calling it the new normal, but really we should be going forward. We shouldn't be going back to the old ways anyway. So no. hopefully yeah. we'll create something unique and original. Um, I did want to speak for you and what your official titles. Um, for me, my experience with Sadie has been through music, through art, through art curation, through her being a DJ, through her being a musician. Um a curator, a, a critic. Um, I know there's some official degrees in there. So <laughs> if you want to just go over like your credentials so that people, you know, know we're not, you know, talking from sidewalk university here. Um, yeah. Tell the people, you know, what your accreditations are. Yeah, I, um, I grew up in the arts, in the performing arts mainly, and have a background in visual arts as well. Um, my studies have been in uh, visual arts, fine arts, uh, fine art and sound as well, sound design, sound art, um, curatorial studies. I've traveled internationally to do a curatorial program in France um, to officially, you know, get that that stamp as a as a professional independent curator. Um, and I studied at Columbia for music and the Art Institute as well. Uh, my, my degree there is in, in sound. So, um, and then in between all of that, I've had a lot of lived experience in producing a lot of uh, work in exhibitions and collaborating with a, a shit ton of people, including Nicole, um, through over the last two decades. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I always love, I mean, this is a really long friendship. I want to say like three decades now. So mm -hmm. we're not going to ruin you all's lives by going over 30 years <laughs> of <laughs> friendship and experience. Um, but, you know, we've laughed, we've cried, we've come full circle. And, um, but, you know, essentially... We went to Lane Tech High School, so you know the accreditations, top level accreditations continue. And um, <laughs> I met Sadie in music class. Um, I want to say uh, classical choral ensemble, yeah. to be more specific. And um, I came from a piano background and fine arts building. And my parents were all about the real job, not the um, artist life. And uh, do not do what I did when I met Sadie. The first thing I said, because Sadie has a very uh, unique appearance, very beautiful, but very unique. I was like, what 
are you? Because, you know, it's this woman with fair skin and very kinky hair. And don't go up to mixed race people and say, what are you? They're human beings. <laughs> Do not fuck up like I did. Do not ask this <laughs> fucked up ass question of what are you? Um, but when you're like 13, you don't know any better, you know? Um, so I was curious and I wanted to know. And, you know, that's the beginning of my journalism career is like hey what are you what are you what do you do who do you know what do you know you know so <laughs> so um sadie we're all everything but sadie is black and puerto rican would you agree to that yeah yeah all right all right so um just two cultures that have always been overlapped forever um and I was just so, so curious because Chicago is so segregated and Chicago makes everyone live on their side of the city, live in their box, you know, and this is where black people live and this is where white people live and this is where Puerto Rican people live and this is where Mexican people live. I mean, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't have asked that shitty question had Chicago had been more authentically diverse um mm-hmm. so you know that's my gripe with chicago we're not gonna go there we don't have time we'll we'll, we'll go to tony and the folded map project for all of those issues we'll come back to sadie so <laughs> after asking sadie's question obviously we we bonded we're, we're talking about a time when the new golden era of rap is occurring you know we're talking like fuji's mm-hmm. era um 90s late 90s and um you know, she did the courageous thing of going to school for art, and I kind of went to school for psychology at Loyola University, and then I had to kind of spend some time in the workforce to figure all of that out. I've always been money-driven. Sadie knows this about me, right? Yeah. I'm always like, money is the real road to freedom, (laughs) and there is no life without deposits. I've been like this since high school. Um, call it pretentious, call it what you want, but I've just been like, look, what you gotta get the get the coins in the bank in order for other things to happen to be able to happen. Nicole Nicole was also getting us all jobs. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. I have always had many jobs like in Jamaica and I was always the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. And wherever I worked, I brought my crew, my tribe with me because fuck that, we all eating, right? Right. Whether that's Starbucks or wherever. Uh, same with Sadie with me. We look out for each other. It's very organic. Um, Sadie spent over a decade um, at Marlin Foundation. She found a way for uh, me to continue my art studies, even though I was forced to take kind of a more college prep, you know, plan per my parents um so I had to kind of sneak in the art and Sadie was a great adversary with that great advocate Mm -hmm. for the art making sure it gets it in which led me I would not have become a photographer without meeting Sadie because she was such an advocate for the arts and then we ended up you know meeting Sarah Hoskins and you know Mm -hmm. all of that so yeah early days Marwin as well where you have like one teacher one classroom and a loft not this huge foundation with a huge endowment, right? right. So we um, had a very uh, amazing journey. All these names were dropping. Feel free to Google them later on after the chat. Um, 
I I don't see a time where me and Sadie, me and Sadie cannot talk for a long time and then pick right back up on the conversation and just keep going and we'll and you know we can vibe or we think about each other we'll text each other and we could go she could go overseas to dominican republic or wherever italy or france <laughs> for a long period of time and we we're having very different lives but the, at the same time completely in tune would you agree with that yeah absolutely all right so so i i always like to ask my guests basically the very simple questions for you right now the question I have for you in terms of art in terms of visual arts and music these two have always been the center of focus for you Mm -hmm. any preference of visual art or curation over music I feel like they all inform each other and kind of feed each other for me. Like, I know that I've done a lot of of both simultaneously, but I've also taken breaks to focus sometimes more on one element than the other. I would definitely say curating for me has been about um, providing platforms to collaborate with peers and also to provide platforms for up and coming artists that may not have um, the visibility that they are seeking or deserve. And a lot of that has been focused on of communities of color and, and marginalized communities, of course, like queer communities um, and differently abled communities as well. Um, and youth too, because youth are also marginalized and also thinking about elders being marginalized groups as well. So I think a lot intergenerationally in that uh, respect and, and thinking about how to have these multiple intersections and dialogues through work and the work being multiple mediums on top of that. So it's not just one dimensional um, in that respect. At this point right now, what I have been focusing on is um, storytelling, cultural preservation um, and cultural memory that is that has been uh, preserved through sound, through music, and thinking about that as as um, as a way people have through throughout history created a canon for um, for like Afro diaspora uh, culture and and work. And so my focus has been thinking about uh, rebellions um, and also these liberatory practices with emancipation and how they still have so much relevance today with uh, the social political climate that we are we have been continuously I think experiencing through our lifetime and and the conversations that haven't really changed you know since the civil rights movement right um, so. I mean you and I are not part of that population and I would say most marginalized people whether that's LGBTQ people of color and women and poor people none of us thought that after Obama is going to be a whole brand new America like that's just ridiculous that it's going to be a post-racial America I had a feeling that it was going to even become kind of worse because they're going to be salty that he got eight years yeah you know, and so none of this surprises me. Does anything about this political climate surprise you? I mean, no, I, I just, it's just 
thinking about like the pro- the recent projects I've worked on. Um, there's one I did on Harold Washington for the 30th anniversary of his passing, and looking at his campaign and and the things that he fought for are the same conversations we're still having with CPS and with housing as a human right and and all that shit. You know, it's like it's it's like we're still dealing with the same issues um, that you know a lot of our ancestors have fought for, our grandparents our parents, you know, people who have passed. Um, and I think it, it's just calling for a different way of organizing um, and, and definitely getting more legislative support if we're looking to be a part of the system that we're, we're currently existing in, you know? Yeah. And Sadie also has taught and molded young minds. I have as well, mostly at Marwin, but, you know, I am just a little crazy about money so I can't deal with nonprofits <laughs> at an extended period of time because I have to fool with the private sector and it's like can we write a check you know to this foundation um but you have to do more than than write a check so when we're talking about these problems especially you know with us both being from Chicago and seeing the way that race gender and class all overlap and and, and um are the target what role does art or music or or the arts in general have you seen what role do they play in that in progression um i'll say i'll say this a lot of the people that i work with are artists that are also um are activists and organizers and have um some of them have their own organizations uh, and they do a lot of community-based work and um both with not just protesting, but also with health and wellness um, and, and really kind of thinking about the wellness within community um, and, how, and how we hold space for each other because that's just as important as, as um, being pr- public and vocal, right? It's not just about like protesting all the time, but also thinking about personal health um, <laughs> within the community. So those people that I know that are doing that work are artists. Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily right to expect artists to always be at the forefront of that change, but it's typically those people that are taking the risks um, and that are being the most vocal and putting themselves out um, in the front and he- tend to spearhead the uh, the movements in, in those sorts of ways. There's a lot of overlap. Um, within that but if you think about let's say like um like silkscreen posters and music it's always been a part of the movement it's always been reflective of the times so it hasn't really been separate you know what I mean it's always been there um but I think that along with that there needs to be more support um with longer lasting change right you you feel like you get these these pockets and and you know the bigger thing too is is people are getting a little bit more hip to patriarchy and white supremacy and um you know i just read today that racism is a white person's problem Mm. so if it's their problem we are the victims of it how can we solve 
the problem that's not ours that we're the victim of. It's kind of like rape culture. Like it's like asking the person that was raped to now cure rape culture. No, teach predominantly men, teach men not to rape women. That's where the progress comes from, right? So how do, through the medium of art and music, how do we influence or teach white people to take responsibility and accountability for racism because we aren't, as the victims, we're not going to be able to to solve it on our own. Well, I think part of the problem to me is asking to continue to exist or thinking that you're going to change something that was never designed to support people of color, Black people, um, and thinking that you're going to go in there and change it from the inside out because that hasn't worked to date. And I think constantly trying to be included in systems that were not designed for us is not, it hasn't worked. So I don't know why people are still trying to do that. Um, I think that... <laughs> <laughs> Say, you can say you can say whatever you want to say on here because this is you have to wear something by Nicole Briggs and goddamn it, this is for a mature audience. So I already let Spotify and iTunes know that you know, yeah, it's not music, but it's profane and, and you know, so deal with it. I mean, you know, I think that we're navigating this space together. I definitely don't think that we are need to continue to be here to do anybody else's labor. We've been doing people's labor for a long time, including emotional labor and holding space for people um, who need to be doing work, like real work, Um, doing emotional work, the mental work, the physical work, the financial work, the systematic work, all of that um, to correct some of these things. And And I do think a lot of the work that's happening is, is being done with good intentions, but as we can see now with um, just COVID-19, how things that fall apart so easily, the structures that, you know, have been in place, it's not working. It hasn't been working. And there needs to be a new order. Right. The system, it's a system of exploitation. And when Sadie speaks about carrying the, the emotional burden um you know I can just speak to you know you might be wondering like what does that mean you know and it's like it means like you know making me be a a strong black woman well you're a strong black woman so therefore you can carry the burden and I can abuse you and I can pay you less and I can you you know you're going to survive no matter what when we've been forced to survive right I'm not born a strong black woman you become that over time and that's forced upon you. Or I've had conversations with many, many white people. And Sadie and I have an extremely diverse group of friends that we share, even age-wise, all the way up to 70s, right? We have, like, elders in our lives, you know? And um, we try to absorb their point of view and their perspective because especially people who've lived longer, who've seen how it was. And I have conversations when you try to have a real conversation about patriarchy or white supremacy or or racism with a predominantly white person someone who identifies as white there's like you are making me uncomfortable i mean well get uncomfortable guess what i've been uncomfortable my whole life so you can you can experience some uncomfortability the conversations need to happen you know people need to have that confrontation and change is not going to happen you know overnight but in order for it to happen those those confrontations need to happen people need to be uncomfortable 
which is another another function that that art is and 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 that's what I mean it's like I one of the common threads I hear um the feedback I get is that look I'm a good person I'm not a criminal I wake up I go to work I feel pain just like every other human being I struggle to pay my bills I'm not rich you know but I think that they're not understanding that every day they're participating in white supremacy, right? You live in an all-white neighborhood that exists because of redlining, right? Mm-hmm. You 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 um, earn almost, if you're a white man, a dollar on a dollar, and a white woman maybe 80 cents on the dollar, while, you know, the Latinx community, black community earn like 50 to 56 cents on the dollar. So you're able to go to work and get paid with your worth. You're less disposable at work. I mean, we could go down the whole line. So you don't even, you've been living so privileged so long, you don't even see it. Yeah. But, and you're, and it, it, no one is saying like, oh, well, you're not a bad person, but you benefit. And that part is unfair. So you participate in the unfairness of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a privilege to not have to know. Right. The the whole ignorant ignorance is bliss thing. It's like, oh, I don't know. My parents weren't slave owners. But they sure yeah. benefited from slave owners, right? The structure yeah. that they they built here and, and elsewhere, you know, and, and when you talk about I know you've traveled a lot more than I in South America, island nations. Uh, you know, the middle passage made a couple of stops, right? <laughs> Just a couple. Just yeah. a few stops. <laughs> and when you look at England and and all those those in France and everyone who participated in, in colonialism, those countries are so tiny compared to Africa. That's what always blows my mind. Is Africa is the biggest continent on the planet. And you have these tiny little nations like Finland, you know, like tiny, like just just wreaking havoc. I mean, on the whole, you know, industrial world, if you will. It cracks me up every time. So, um, it's, 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 it's a problem. And like you said, with COVID, it's like, of course, who people of color are the ones dying the quickest, the fastest. I mean, a black woman, a Latinx woman can't even have a baby, you know, in the private sector of healthcare with confidence. Yeah. You know, you may die doing that because there's so much neglect. And so now that neglect, now the light is being shown on how marginalized everyone is, except for a a very select few. And um, we're gonna get back to art, but you know, art is, is is a part of that change, a part of that protest, a part of that advocacy mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah, every time. Um, so take that, audience. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> in terms of, uh, I was I was talking about this visual art versus music. For you, I know you've been doing a lot of, of DJing lately and you take breaks from molding young minds. I know that that's not like the number one thing to do, but we appreciate your service. I view it as almost like <laughs> damn near being in the fucking army or the armed forces, like teachers on the front lines of a lot of shit. Yeah. 
you know. Yes. So, um, we, you know, we thank you for doing that. But um, what you're saying is all of it is basically coexisting together. Is that correct? Yeah, for me, it's it's definitely coexisting together. As far as DJing, like I'm definitely doing DJing more because of uh, just being in quarantine and and working on basically I'm just going through my archive of, of things like my libraries of music um, and then just old ideas that I've had sitting around for a while and, and stuff I've been sitting on but I haven't really been forcing myself to be overly productive and I feel like it's important to not feel pressure to be overly productive and a fucking pandemic situation. Yeah, you know, do, not, a lot of- <laughs> do not productivity shame people, yeah. guys. Like, everyone is not Gary V. Everyone is not motivated. Some people have real loss. They've lost loved ones. They've lost friends. Some people have lost their fucking jobs, their livelihood, their income. Their homes. Their homes. Um, and people have lost their damn minds. Yeah. You know, they're not coping well. They were already probably borderline not doing well just getting by mentally and uh, we all don't have the support we need mentally and that's another problem as well um, in the black community and communities of color you know now you have this uh, narrative about this discussion around you know looking for a black therapist right because you know I, 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 I've been to several therapist and um you know the best one I had was one who was of mixed race and she actually brought it up and, and I think when you go to therapy or you're going to someone that's supposed to help you you don't people of color are trained to not speak on marginalization too much mm-hmm. to protect the fragile feelings of the person across from them so if you speak on racism they're going to take a certain stance like like for instance a therapist I had she was very uh she you know essentially she wanted me to think more positively you know forget the race stuff just you know be more chipper you know like think positively smile more you know walk with a better pep in your step you know what I mean? and positive thinking is not going to dismantle you know like centuries of a, of, a, of a system yeah and you don't see that if you have someone that kind of kind of sort of looks like you or has at least been in the other box you know gay or whatever queer uh, you know we're just now realizing that wow I've been working with trans people all my life where I went to school or that that teacher was trans but you know they had to be invisible right yeah so um, that that only happened what fucking five minutes ago um so I'm glad that you're DJing I'm glad that there's not this uh shame around you're just taking the time for yourself to get through the pandemic whatever way you're getting through it yeah yeah I mean I've had people ask ask a lot about like how do I keep inspired or what kind of distractions am I doing for myself I'm like I think being with myself is enough of a distraction with being in my own thoughts I don't need extra um, I also, <laughs> like, you know, changed my diet. I don't really drink at all anymore. You know, I've kind of, like, put myself into a regimen to have some structure, especially in a time like this. 
and really focusing on my health first and foremost um and then you know of course there's work that has to be done but I'm not pressuring myself to make any type of inventions or come up with a body of work inspired by a pandemic you know I think it's important to just stay focused on the work that I have been doing and being connected to the the communities I've been connected to you know and staying centered you know um and I've seen like a lot of people producing like COVID-19 related stuff and I'm just you know that's cool if that's what they want to do but I'm not pushing that kind of agenda especially not right now yeah this is not a a pandemic podcast so anyone that thinks that can you know kick (laughs) rocks um and the other part of that when you talk about staying censored now another layer okay of Sadie and I's relationship um which is so cool now um but back in the day it wasn't so cool you were the weirdo if you believed in energy aura crystals incense sage smudge mm-hmm. set I was lucky enough to have a woo woo aunt who actually at one point defined as Wiccan right now everybody's yeah. a witch and it's cool to be a witch but that wasn't always so cool right Right. to go to readers or read palms or listen, you know, read astrology. All that is reached all the way to a Paltrow goop level now. Now it's cool yeah. to put a yoni egg up in your vagina. <laughs> now it's cool to be a fucking full-on witch. Yeah. And, and you know what's so funny about that too when you talk about folklore, and I'll ask you about this, Sadie, especially because you've been to South America and all that kind of stuff in your travels. Um, don't you see how when it's voodoo and hoodoo it's bullshit right Mm -hmm. until urban outfitters start selling smudge sets correct I mean you just it's you know everything is co-opted and made for sale to to some degree Um, until it enters popular culture then it's validated but then you know it, it takes away from from the practice to a degree, but I, I'm going to say that you're not going to get everything in a Urban Outfitters, uh, you know, kids. You are not, kiddo. You're, you're not, so. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's just so interesting when, when we go back to the lovely time of the Middle Passage, you know, all of that, all of those, those rituals that were um, being studied um, were considered savage. Not in the Megan the Stallion way. I'm a savage. Not the TikTok challenge, y'all. The, like, legit savage. You know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that... Um, <laughs> um, it's interesting to see the rise of, of that. And even, like, seeing, like, you know, the Netflix show, Always a Witch. You know, little things like that that have come up. Um, that are a part of the popular witch culture now but um you know it's it's work it's a lifestyle it's not a it's not a trend it's not a fad right i mean because it would always be some kind of you know griot or sage on the street you know in new york selling their crystals selling their palo santo you know what i'm saying like an older ancestor talking Mm -hmm. about energy you know, and to never see, even with all these witch shows, it's usually, you know, white women, you know, to finally 
have some shows that okay now they're including in real life people were going to people of color for those supernatural qualities but then when you make the show about it it was kind of like like whitewashed a little bit yeah you know what else what else is new right um (laughs) so when you when you look back um on your experiences and now when we come out of the other side of this thing we're never going to be you know the same you know our this whole thing the the COVID-19 coronavirus uh global pandemic I think everyone is reconsidering priorities a little bit right uh-huh. maybe uh, me I've been buying more linen than shoes you know more towels and shit um yeah <laughs> to make home because you're home all the time you want it as comfortable and enjoyable as possible especially if you're by yourself and um coming out of this thing what would you like to see first of all happen for yourself for me um a lot of the I guess the questions that I've had is like how will I be adjusting especially with work because a lot of my work has been public for the last two decades so um there's a lot of adjustments that i'd have to see there i'm not rushing to be back in public especially not seeing how people were um this holiday um just out like there's not a pandemic happening um just spreading marina just out here spreading all the cooties and uh you know, the few times that I've been out to get like essential things, there's still people that have no sense of space and are not necessarily considerate of others. And I think it's just probably amplified at this moment because we are in this in this reality. And um, you know, it's not that these things did not exist before, but it's just more more visible. Um, I would like to. The thing that I've really been um, enjoying about my work as of late is actually getting to connect with people like in the global south um, through through art and music and thinking about these traditions of um, of carnival and uh, resistance and emancipation. Also thinking about Juneteenth coming up, uh, traditions that we have here um, with that as well, and how that relates into these music traditions um and how music keeps culture alive and the role of the dj within that is what i've been thinking about most and so i would like to be able to do more of that work um, perform more of that work lecture about it talk about it um i don't know that i'll be able to do it in person anytime soon but get on the zoom or the IG live <laughs> but I can get on I can get in. on the interweb yeah so I'm just kind of working through that um and then also working through a course that I taught once called the DJ as tastemaker and aesthetics and cultural mobilization and I want to expand on that so I'm exploring the idea of teaching a class but independently outside of a university um and, and then really like sharing more of my, my DJ practice in that respect because it's an aspect of my work I haven't publicly really shared. I mean, I hear, I feel a retreat coming on. I think we should find people with these big houses. Maybe we get Airbnb to sponsor or Sonder or, you know, inclusive, I-N-N. You know, there was all these anti-Airbnb um 
vacation rental company yeah. that started because you know I mean because they were calling the police on Lauren Hill's uh, daughter uh, when she was just trying to check into her uh, Airbnb normal life for us people of color just always the police um, yeah. and um, I would love to see that when you look back on the things you've done which you've done quite a bit what parts about it don't you like and what would you change um what I don't like is um not being independently wealthy yet because that would allow me a lot more freedom to do the work that I want to do without having to um go through a lot of bureaucracy or trying to convince people of ideas and and whatnot I've been producing exhibitions for over 20 years from every aspect and it's something I'm passionate about you know but I'd I'd also like to continue to do a lot of independent work it's really hard to I think find an institution where you're aligned that aligns with um personal intent right and I would love it if there was that marriage that I could find in work but it has been challenging um so I'd like to continue to do independent, independent-based projects, you know, and be able to fund them. Yeah, because the bills don't stop. You know, uh, we we're we're not into the starving artists. That's not a, that's not good vibes. That's not a good look. We don't we don't do that. No, we don't do that. That's over with. Um, and then outside, and art, of- artists should be respected more. Artists deserve more than being exploited for their ideas and their labor. Yeah, and and. You know, because the artists I think are so sensitive and use so badly, even in, with music, when you look at the treatment of women, people of color, even in music, a lot of times they're they're used, exploited, you know, for their ideas and, and, and they don't get paid. A lot more of the business side should be taught. I think even yeah. institutions and from ver- the very beginning, all the way going back to middle middle school, how to lean into your gifts gifts and talents and also monetize them yeah you know if, if you really want that to to be your life you know I mean most of the great artists you know had the church paying for them you know right yeah so you know we need, we need benefactors and sponsors too and do you think that there is a weird there's a question I want to ask you too is the relationship between donors and foundations that serve underserved communities. So a lot of those donors, a lot of time, not always, but a lot of them tend to be like wealthier white people who really feel like they're doing their part by donating to a nonprofit or what have you. Where does that not help? I mean, I think that this is, this is where complications come in, right? Because there's there's not always the direct relationship building, and I think there's not a comfortable comfortability level there always to build those relationships. A lot of the people who are giving are business folks, right? So they give to something that that maybe makes them excited or something that they would feel proud of, like saying that they're being a part of helping to be on the production end of it. But there isn't always a connection directly to the artist or to the community, um, and those are deeper, deeper relationships that take time. 
And it's also, I think, up to the community as well if they are interested in having those people be a part of their community, right? Because sometimes the communities don't. And, you know, for, for very good reasons. Um, but I think with the work that I've been doing and, and trying to make those connections is, uh, is has been that, like, how do you have people know, like, um, the impact of, like, investing in something? Like, is it just a monetary investment? Is it something that you're, you have an emotional investment in? Um, do you have any real stakes with this community? Like, you know, and I, I would like to see more stakes um, be with the community. But again, I think, like, some of that work comes from someone, like, if I was to go back to Humble Park and invest in something, I think it would mean more to the people there than me trying to find someone from Glencoe to give, to build a relationship with people from Humble Park. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, um, and I feel like a lot of donors, they really, they they mean well, you know, yeah. but I, I mean, writing a check to someone who is so desperate for that resource and that funding doesn't solve the problem, right, of whatever years of patriarchy it's not a long it's not a long-term solution. yeah it's a short-term solution and yeah. um i uh i think that preparation what is it preparation plus timing or something equals opportunity but a lot of these communities are not prepared to even receive the resources right if, if, if there's no financial planning, financial literacy, when you throw money at the community, it's not going to go well. You know? It needs more than that. I mean, it's not, it's not just that money does not solve all the problems. It helps with some, but it does not solve all the problems. But it does solve Cindy's problems, y'all. So if y'all want to donate, <laughs> it's going to go to a great place. Yes, Sadie, it will solve. Say this yes. is the part where you tell everybody how to find you. Yes, I am on Venmo and Cash App, Sadie Woods, if you want to send me some some donations. But if you want to find out uh, more about my work, it's uh, my website is sadiewoods.com. And you'll find visual artwork, uh, music-related work, DJ mixes, uh, all kinds of stuff on there, including merchandise. So um, definitely check it out. I have a Sadie t-shirt for sure. Yes. That I wear. Yes. Um, and then also, isn't your Instagram at Woods Sadie? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Instagram Woods Sadie with one S. Okay. And yeah. then the only thing I want to get from you, just because you've been in the game for so long, is what would you tell, not even like your 18 year old self, but like someone who is graduating at this horrible time in a pandemic who legit wants to make art and music or a combination of both a career what would you mm-hmm. say to them or what would you say to a parent like an immigrant parent or a black parent and as we know they're like get you know be a doctor be a lawyer get a real job what would you mm-hmm. advise not only that student but those parents in guiding that young person in the right direction to you know monetize their gifts and talents in the best way possible without you know going deeper into debt or going deeper into poverty or what have you well I mean 
I cannot give a, any advice necessarily about not going into debt because I'm in a lot of debt for going back to school. I am also in debt. But, but, anyway, but, let's, 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 but I'm less in debt, though. I'm less in debt. I've been controlling debt for a long time. But, but uh, yeah, it's the American school, way. It's the American, it's the American way. way. They need to make school they need to make school free. They look uh, They need to cancel student debt. Yeah, debt. That'd be great. Um, yes, please. Legislation cancel student student debt. Um, but what I would say as advice and and something I have had to follow and and fight for and make space for for myself is to really follow what's in your heart. Do not do what other people want you to do, even if that's your parents. Um, because it's not going to pan out necessarily uh, in the long run and you won't be happy, right? So really take the time to figure out what's what's in, what's in on your heart, like what you really want to do in this life and honor that um, and take the necessary steps to to study or to, to sharpen your skills, whatever's going to get you there. Um, don't be afraid to travel. If you're, you know, what you want to study is not available where you live, like, don't be afraid to go to school somewhere else. Um, also, ask for help um, for resources. If you need to learn more about how to get funding for school, like, find local resources um, to do that. Like, for example, at Marwin, where we both uh, were students, they had a college and career program that helped students get into college, which is how I got help to get into Columbia. Um, at the time where I was studying photography and music, right? So I had some guidance and people who actually listened to me and what I was interested in and helped me to get in school for that. So, um, you know, find people that you can talk to and trust with your, with, you know, your, your concerns for, for what you want to pursue. Yeah, when you meet people outside of your family that really see you, see who you are, see what you are really great at, what your gifts are, like, that's your chosen family. You need to, like, adopt them and keep them in your life. Not everyone sees you, even if they're related to you by Mm -hmm. blood. You know, that chosen family are sometimes the ones that make the bigger sacrifices, right? So, um, just really be present on that journey because you're always going to meet at least one fan of your work one fan of what you're doing someone who's as passionate as you are about yourself we all we all get that um that blessing you know we, we meet someone like wow think about that teacher you had that really gave you the time you yeah know? And don't take those moments for granted because outside of your parents, once you go outside that door, nobody really gives a shit about you. <laughs> right. And you really need to really take your interests seriously and, and take care of yourself. Um, and that's that's a major thing. Like, no one's going to take your work more serious than you. So, you know, take care of that. Yeah. 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 Well, this thing is saying we have just under 15 minutes but what I'm gonna first say is thank you Sadie I don't know why I've had this thing for so long you've never been on here so thank you (laughs) for being a guest on you have to wear something thank you Um, for having me if you enjoy it please leave me a review on iTunes I have solid good 15 of them if you don't like me I prefer you email me first and we hash it out don't put that on the public uh 
review, please. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> be a grown up. Be a grown up. Talk be a grown up. We can, we can work it out amongst <laughs> ourselves in private. Um, so funny. No, I do have a you have to wear something at Gmail email if you have uh, an issue with the things that we're saying. But this is my damn show, so I'm going to say what I want. Um, and... Um, I, I think you could have a lot of insight into some future shows too. Like, in, oh, you know, when Halloween creeps up, we can have a chat about blackface. That's a whole other hour. <laughs> um, and I know you've done some study in that too. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of other things that I would love to chop it up with you about if you'd be happy to come back. But yeah, for sure. Um, but thank you for being here today um, during this crazy time. And, um, you know, I love you forever. I love you too. All right, and (laughs) to the five to ten people listening, as always, till next time, peace.